The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today. Our guest on today's episode is Osprey Oriel Lake, a good friend of the show, good friend of mine, a very inspiring and insightful climate change leader. And today she's going to be talking about a global women's climate justice day of action. It's happening September 29th, and we're going to dig into the details of that day of action. So welcome to Go Green Radio. Osprey, glad to have you on. So great to be with you, Jill. Thanks so much. Well, it's great to have you back on the show. The last time we had you on, you were talking about your book, Uprisings for the Earth, which I love. But I'd like to jump right in and talk about this day of action. Talk to us about the hub event that you're holding on September 29th in New York City. Tell us who's going to be in attendance and what is on the agenda. Sure. I'd be glad to. So, uh, on September 29th, uh, we're bringing women leaders uh, to join in solidarity to address the root causes and activities and policies that are really at the heart of the climate crisis and also demonstrate why women are key to effective climate solutions and really present the, the large array of visions and strategies uh, that women are working on to shape a healthy and equitable world. And um, this is also in coincidence with a global Women's Climate Justice Day of Action, which we can get into, you know, maybe in a little bit here, but just to talk about what's happening in New York. Uh, we're very excited to have so many amazing women leaders. We'll be having the event at the Church Center of the United Nations, um, and people are welcome to attend. It's open to the public. You can go to our website at we can international spelled out w e c a n international.org and um, right there on our homepage there's all the information about attending but we're going to be having um, as an example uh, Mary Robinson who's the former president of Ireland and she's currently the special envoy for climate change at the United Nations um, we're very thrilled to have her come. She also has an organization called the Mary Robinson Foundation for Climate Justice. Um, we will be having um, also Nobel laureate uh, Jody Williams coming to speak and a wonderful, powerful leader uh, who's uh, one of our partners from the uh, Amazon in Ecuador. Her name is Patricia Galinga. She's an indigenous Quechua leader from the Sariaco people. She will be coming to speak about what's happening in her community around protecting uh, the Amazon rainforest from oil extraction. So a lot of so frontline women will be there. Melina Massimo, who is um, Lubicon Cree First Nation and indigenous activist from Canada, talking about the tar sands. We have Jackie Patterson, who's the director of the NAACP Environmental Climate Justice Program. 
Um, and it's just, it's going to be, as you can see, a wonderful, wonderful event. May Bovee from the, uh, who's the executive director of 350.org. So I think we're going to hear from, you know, women from different countries and really, uh, have an understanding of what's going on on the ground in terms of the impacts of climate change, root causes, but also what women are doing to lead the way to a different future. We will also be discussing actions between now and Paris, where the big climate negotiations will happen at the end of the year, and uh, what happens uh, there as well as beyond. Uh, and, and, and I think uh, I think what's important here to say, too, as you were asking about, you know, what are we going to be covering, um, I think what's most important and what we want to convey is that women can and are making a very significant difference in changing our current trajectory concerning climate change. Um, you know, as probably a lot of listeners know, uh, it's sad to say, but right now, um, 2015 is going to be the hottest year on record, and extreme weather events are already leading to, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of deaths worldwide. So this is, you know, we've moved from talking about climate change out in the future to it being right here in our daily lives. Um, you know, I'm in California. There's a huge drought happening here, wildfires everywhere. So, you know, if we continue business as usual, it's really clear that the consequences of our changing climate are literally leading to fatal changes in the web of life. And this is why we're bringing women to let, together to really that fierceness that women have, sort of like the mama bear saying, you know, we need to get together and change something. Something at a much more drastic level has to happen. And governments are making a response, but it's not strong enough uh, according to nature, what nature is saying. And so from this landscape, we really wanted to um, have the, the event. Um, it's being hosted by our organization, which is the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network, or our acronym is WECAN, because we think we can do a lot. Mm-hmm. And what we're, we're seeing in our international networks is, um, you know, the power of women really rising up to face these challenges. Um, and, and I'd like to just go into, if it's all right, a few minutes about why we're focusing on women. Sure, Absolutely. Um, uh, I, I think one of the thir- first things, you know, because people also ask me, you know, why are you focusing on women in climate change? And so I think the first thing that needs to be understood that women are disproportionately impacted by climate change and environmental degradation. You know, as an example, there's a clear link between poverty and who gets impacted by climate change first and worst. And women make up the greatest percentage of the world's poor, so that's why they get impacted the stresses that many indigenous women and women in developing countries experience as a result of climate change are a lot more severe because they have a lot more direct reliance on nature and primary resources for their survival. Um, and we're also seeing that uh, with drought, flooding, and unpredictable temperature, in, uh, it really increases burdens on millions of women who, due to gender roles, are responsible for providing food, water, and firewood for their families. Um, right now, women comprise about 20 million of the 26 million people who've been displaced by climate change since 2010. So, wow. you know, that's, that's a huge problem. Uh, we, we see um, with uh, Sri Lanka's 2004 tsunami, it killed nearly one in five displaced women, and that's more than two times the mortality rate of men. So these gender discriminations, it really reduces women's physical and economic mobility and um, her opportunity in many regions of the world to protect herself and her family. Um, But Mm -hmm. one of the things that uh, we're seeing and what we're inspired by is one of the untold stories of climate change is that women are also standing on the front lines of global efforts to revision and heal our world and bring solutions. 
And, you know, one of the things that really moves me is when we talk to a lot of the women in our network, they always say, you know, hey, you know, we're not victims, we're the solution. Um, mm-hmm. 60 to 80% of household food production in developing countries, it's done by women. So we're talking about food security and food sovereignty as we look at these years ahead. We're talking about involving women. Uh, UN studies on water programs show that if you don't have women engaged in these programs, they simply don't work since the women who are doing the ones who are collecting the water and hold the local water knowledge. You know, looking here more at the global north, 80% of the purchasing power in North America is decided by women. So we're looking at our organization, you know, how do we bring that power of the purse in terms of women in the U.S. demanding clean energy and tackling this problem of overconsumption. Um, and the last point I wanted to bring up that the women's involvement in decision-making has super important implications for climate change. Uh, there was a study of 130 countries found that when countries with, uh, who have higher female parliamentary representation are much more prone to ratify international environmental treaties. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go on, but there's like, so many statistics that really show us that women are central to climate change solutions, and yet it's really an untapped group, and also they're very underrepresented. And I think also something that women are bringing to the conversation that we can't leave out as we face, you know, massive loss of life, species extinction, and these increasing threats from climate change, you know, and it's something that's harder to record, but I've personally witnessed it, is um, women's emotional and spiritual intelligence. You know, whether you want to attribute that to biology or culture, it's very powerful. I've been in international forums where the most impactful work has been women conveying our deep and fierce love, um, as well as our grief, for our children and their future, and for the lands that we love and and the very web of life. And to do so in public spaces, uh, with public officials, and as we speak truth to power. So I think it's important at this level, this crisis, that we, we have the opportunity to bring our full selves to the conversation, and I think women have so much to offer in that way. Well, and I've seen that myself in my own work with the Go Green Initiative and, uh, you know, working with school communities to help educate children on ways to protect natural resources and to protect human health from environmental degradation, that it's been oftentimes the women, whether it's the parents or the teachers, um, who have been so key in, in bringing these new initiatives to the forefront and being the ones who volunteer and and like you said, they're on the front lines uh, taking their part. You know, you're going to be in New York City right after Pope Francis um, is there. And, you know, he's talked about so much of the same things that you were discussing in his new encyclical on environmental uh, issues. And he's talked about the um, the correlation between environmental degradation and, you know, it's it's... Uh, unbelievable impact on the impoverished of the world and and how hard that is making um, their lives. Do you have any plans to integrate any of his message into your day of action and bring perhaps bring more people into the fold um, in your own movement? Yeah, we we actually uh, wrote a statement right after the encyclical was um, uh, distributed, and uh, people can read our response um, on our blog, which is um, on our homepage. And you know, we were excited very much by um, of uh, his work. You know, we find it to be a very powerful tool for the climate movement, and it's really created space to, I think, invite other world leaders to step up and take bold action to address the root causes of the climate crisis. You know, it, it's a very, you know, strong statement. It calls 
uh, not just for climate action, but also for climate justice. You know, mm-hmm. recognizing, as you were saying, that human poverty and vulnerability is intimately tied to environmental degradation. So, you know, in his whole concept of the integral ecology that embraces a deeper interdependence of the earth and human society and the economy, I mean, it's, it's, it's really looking at a fundamental shift in our collective consciousness and understanding of the world and our place in the world. Um, and I also really like that he did not waver in his criticism of the corporate interests driving environmental degradation, nor the politicians facilitating their destruction. I mean, he's extremely um, assertive about this, and he also calls for immediate action, which we agree with, to keep fossil fuels in the ground and a bold transition to a clean energy future, um, and climate solutions free of inappropriate market mechanisms. So, you know, we're, we're very thrilled with that, and we've, we've come out of support, and we're definitely going to be, you know, stating that at our event. Um, all that said, I do, you know, I think it's important that while we're applauding, you know, the Pope for his leadership and unwavering stance as a women's climate justice organization, you know, we also needed just to take pause and stand firm in asserting that there's still much more work to be done in addressing sort of the patriarchal worldview that the encyclical still portrays and that's sort of evident in the peppering of, you know, old paradigm comments on gender and sexuality in the encyclical. And, you know, I think there could be some improvement there from the gender perspective, but, you know, overall we were, you know, very, very pleased with, with the statement and all the work he's done since then and that he's going to be, you know, speaking to Congress, that he's going to be going to the United Nations General Assembly when we're there. And, um, you know, all this work that's going on in the lead-up to the Paris negotiations, I think he's tr- helped tremendously, and it's very exciting. It is. I, I think I think you're right. I think that, you know, adding as many people as we can to the cause um, is a very positive thing. And I know that amongst those, not just Catholics, but those who have followed the Pope's encyclical on the environment, it's really made them consider climate justice and environmental justice from a moral perspective and not just an economic perspective or uh, just simply an environmental protection issue, but much more of a human dignity type of approach, which I think is is also tantamount to some of the the messaging that you have as well. We've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we have much, much more. Uh, so don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Up Close with Chris Tinney is now on Voice America Variety. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, Chris brings you the thought leaders, activists, and socially responsible entrepreneurs taking action for the environment, doing business in a new way, and helping the underprivileged. 
Call in or listen in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and learn how the small decisions you make today have a big impact on our small planet in the future. Tune in to Up Close with Chris Tinney on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. In case you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Today we're talking about a global women's climate justice day of action that's being put on by the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network, We Can International. And our guest today is Osprey Oriel Lake. She's the co-founder and executive director of We Can International. And you can follow her on Twitter at, at Osprey O Lake or at We Can underscore I-N-T-L for International, We Can International. And this Global Women's Climate Justice Day of Action is going to be happening September 29th. And for those who cannot make it to the Hub event in New York City, Osprey, you have several ways to get involved. You invite people to share their photos, videos, statements, or action recaps via email before September 29th. And I'm wondering uh, exactly how people can do that, what you're hoping to see from people, and in your mind, what the ideal submissions would contain. Talk to us about that. Great. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're very excited. Um, so this Global Women's Climate Justice Day of Action is open to anyone all over the world, and we, um, we were very interested in ensuring that, um, you know, we want to show this global voice of women and how we are making a difference around climate change and what our thoughts are and our messages to world leaders. The reason we've chosen September 29th is because the United Nations General Assembly is in session in New York, and we wanted to make a statement while world leaders are meeting because it's one of the last times before the big climate negotiations in Paris at the end of the year, and we really think they need to hear from women. So right now... Um, what you can do is you can go on to our homepage, which is www.wecaninternationalspeltout.org, and right there you'll see a button on our homepage that takes you to the Global uh, Women's Climate Justice Day of Action, and there there's a portal, and you can submit photos or a statement. And what we're seeing is right now, because the portal's open between now and September 29th, we have... Uh, over 30 countries engaged with us, and they're doing what we call decentralized events uh, throughout this month all the way to the 29th. And um, the actions can go, you know, are quite uh, a big range. It can be someone planting a tree and taking a photograph of themselves and making a statement about how trees are important to um, uh, uh, climate mitigation. There's women putting up solar panels. There's women just taking a picture of themselves with a statement saying, you know, we want world leaders to take a strong stand on climate change. 
uh, we have a group of Indigenous women from the Amazon rainforest who are going to be having a protest against fossil fuel extraction in their territories. We have one woman from Canada who's been traveling across Canada interviewing women who are doing things around protecting waterways, and she's going to have sort of like a photo exhibit and statements from these women. Um, we have a group of women in the Niger Delta region of West Africa who decided to hold a summit on women and oil extraction. Um, so it, it, it's quite wide-ranging, as you can see. People are uploading to, you know, statements about, you know, we care about our children um, or we're interested in there being, you know, more funding for environmental education. So it, it's very simple in terms of just taking a photograph, uploading it onto the portal, and just seeing this big array of uh, women and what their stand is and how we care about climate change and what we want you know, to learn from one another how we can network together, but also so world governments see this strong statement and this, you know, big reaction women are having to protecting the web of life and our children's futures. I um, love it. So that's, that's what people can do, and, and, and um, any action is not too big or too small, um, but we want as many people to upload, and starting now we would love that. That is fantastic. And you also invite people to sign the Women's Climate Declaration. And we talked about this a couple of years ago when it was first enacted. But uh, for our listeners who don't know what that is, talk to us about what is included in that document and who was involved in creating it. Sure. Um, It's called uh, Women of the World Call for Urgent Action on Climate Change and Sustainability Solutions. And the declaration, it's a, it's a beautiful document. It's also on our homepage, and you can also sign it there. And I'll just, like, read the opening line so people get the sense of it. It's, we are the mothers and the grandmothers, the sisters and daughters, nieces and aunts, who stand together to care for all generations across our professions, affiliations, and national identities. We are committed to a transition from a future of peril to a future of promise to rally the women around the world to join together in action at all levels until the climate crisis is solved. And then it goes into, um, you know, specific demands around canceling plans for future carbon developments and deforestation and bringing atmospheric CO2 concentrations back below 350 parts per million um, in the atmosphere, um, divesting from dirty fossil fuel developments, calling for... um, uh, urgent action, putting a price on carbon, um, everything from you know protecting forests, uh, reducing uh, emissions, rejecting greenhouse gas emission schemes that come from high-risk technologies which create irreversible damage such as tar sands, shale gas, nuclear energy, and geoengineering. So it gets into some deep specifics around false solutions versus real solutions, as well as, you know, how do we really respect nature and how do we have more education around nature and how do we have, um, you know, new economic indicators so that we don't just have this endless economic growth model that's not working. So it's Mm -hmm. a host of issues that women got together and said, this is really a roadmap about how we can get from here to a new sustainable, healthy future. And um, it was very exciting because it came out of our international summit uh, where we had Dr. Jane Goodall, Dr. Vanda Nishiva, um, we had uh, Sylvia Earle, uh, we had Mary Robinson, we had a host of amazing indigenous and grassroots women leaders from all over the world, from um, 
Africa, India, South America, um, and together we created the statement and signed it. Um, and since then, there's been thousands of signatures. It's part of a one part of a ten-part campaign uh, signature campaign series that have all come together to aggregate our uh, declarations together, and they will be delivered to world leaders um, at the climate negotiations in Paris. And we're very excited because um, recently I learned the aggregate of all the signatures is up over 10 million now. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So we really want people to sign this as part of their day of action, and it's very easy to do online. And um, the declaration is now available in five languages. That's fantastic. Now, let's talk about this world meeting in Paris in December. What specific outcomes are you hoping for when that meeting concludes? Well, um, I think we've got to break it down a little bit because, you know, um, you know it, it's the culmination of so much work and, you know, really will create the, the game plan, so to speak, starting in 2020 going forward. And I think we need to get right out on the table just bluntly that the analysis shows that pledges currently on the table by governments um, in Paris will fall short of limiting global warming to below the internationally agreed two degrees threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to fill the gap, you know, we really need to get, you know, a lot of um, pressure from civil society and people's movements because the scientists are telling us, you know, across the board, we must leave 80% of the fossil fuels in the ground and that, you know, Again, the the current negotiations, the documents at this point are not addressing that, mm-hmm. and so you know I I think we cannot have our hopes too high for the outcome. I do think that uh, the governments are trying much harder. There there's a lot more seriousness, a real understanding that we need to move to zero carbon emissions. I mean, there's been some really important breakthroughs. Um, and so I, I think we need to see the positive momentum going into Paris. But in terms of meeting the speed and scale of the climate crisis, I, I think, you know, we can't expect um, the, 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 this particular document and this negotiation to meet the targets. And this is where, you know, the role of people's movements um, it really, really makes a huge difference, and we need to keep putting pressure on all the way up before and through the negotiations and after um, mm-hmm. to, to really meet the demands that nature is requiring. How, how do you and, and your organization maintain your motivation and your hope when so many times the world has come together for these climate talks and failed to produce real results? What keeps you going? What keeps you motivated? Um, well, I think, you know, probably like, you know, you and a lot of people, I mean, you know, we are, this is what we must do. This is what we have to do um, if we want to survive and have a good future for our planet and our children. And so my motivation is that, you know, my love for the earth, my love for human beings, um, my love for all species. And I feel like love often is not put into the equation, but it is a motivator, and it is an inspiration. And then beyond that, the work that I see women doing around the world is just unbelievable. You know, women who are in frontline communities, 
uh, women who are surviving incredible hardships due to climate change, whether it's drought or flooding, and are at a survival level, and the innovations that they bring forth and the work that they do um, is deeply inspiring. Everything from, you know, these women in Bangladesh who are making wind-resistant housing to, you know, Solar Sister organization that we are um, in collaboration with who are bringing uh, solar businesses to women in rural regions of Africa. Uh, our own partners that we work with in the DR Congo, we're doing a reforestation project there with them. And, you know, this, this work that goes on about, you know, healing the land, planting trees, moving to agroecology, getting off of big ag, um, you know, protecting our waterways. You know, people are out there. They know what to do. I, I find the inspiration is that, you know, women, men and women both, we know, people know what to do. They know what needs to happen. You know, for me, the battle is, you know, how to get, you know, the corporate powers and, you know, the, the political and legal frameworks that we have, you know, out of the way so people can get on the, the business of healing the earth and building resilient communities. Absolutely. And I think that that's, uh, that is a powerful motivation. Um, it's kind of like we have no other choice. <laughs> In order to survive, this is what's going to have to happen. And so we continue to fight the good fight. And I love what you're doing. We've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about some other ways to get involved with We Can International, some of the other programs that they have going on besides this day of action. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening.
listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. If you're just joining us, let me catch you up really quickly. Our topic today is the Global Women's Climate Justice Day of Action that's being sponsored on September 29th this year by the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network. Uh, their acronym is We Can International, and we're talking today with their co-founder and executive director, Osprey Oriel Lake. And um, you know, this is a, a, a movement that is focusing on the role that women play, um, both in in terms of how climate change is affecting women um, disproportionately, but also many of the important actions that women are taking around the world to to address climate change and to address those uh, root causes of climate change. But I have to ask the question because I don't want the fellas to be left out. We have a lot of listeners who are men. Are men welcome to work with We Can International, Osprey? And how does your organization interface with men? It's a great question. I'm so glad that you asked that. Um, Yes. Uh, there are many men, actually, in our organization. We have men on our advisory council, and um, uh, we do have men participating in this day of action. And, you know, for us, it's, it's, it's about working together, but we also know at this time that because of the disproportionate impacts and also the fact that women's voices have been underrepresented as well as their solutions, we're really lifting up what women are doing. That said, there's so many amazing men who are supporting us, who are advocates for us, who participate on our calls, who come to our trainings, you know, with this understanding that they too are realizing, you know, not maybe exclusively as their focus or work, but that it's important to them to uplift women's voices. And, you know, we've had a lot of uh, businessmen approach us, especially in the solar and wind technologies, when they start learning that 80% of all consumer purchases in the United States are decided by women, or that, you know, 61% of household improvements are decided by women. So when they're looking at getting solar panels up on people's roofs or doing some of these transitions around, you know, energy efficiency, it's really important for them to be engaging women. So everything from sort of the, the moral stance to the political stance to, you know, being a good business model for them, um, we, we have a lot of men engaged. That's wonderful. Now, you have so many terrific programs through We Can International, and I want to talk about several of them. Um, I want to go right to the Rights of Nature International Advocacy and Trainings that We Can is working on. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I think this is really important because it also gets uh, both to the legal frameworks around nature as well as the economics and in brief, um, we, we're looking at how our modern legal systems have really failed to prevent uh, the increasing grave threats of climate change and degradation of our Earth ecosystems. I mean, if our legal frameworks were working around nature, obviously we wouldn't be in this crisis. So what, what we're looking at is to truly live sustainably and live in harmony with the Earth we feel we need to change the sort of the very DNA of our economy and legal frameworks 
to adhere to the natural laws of the earth. And this is where rights of nature can play a central role. And this is a, a legal framework that um, many people are starting to uh, pick up on. The UN has even recognized it. And basically, the majority of the world's legal frameworks are based on treating nature as pros- property. So our life-giving rivers, forests, and mountains are treated as property to be sold and consumed. And so how do we get um, you know, nature out of the marketplace? This is what we feel is at the core of so many of our problems. Um, and so right now, as property, the natural communities and ecosystems are not recognized as rights holders. So um, in our legal systems, because nature's property, it's property, it's not really visible in court. So we need to really change that structure of law. Um, and it needs to be a different configuration that recognizes the Earth's living systems are, are really not the enslaved property, if you will, of humans. Mm-hmm. And what's very exciting right now is that... Um, this, this work is gaining traction. In 2006, the community of Tamako Borough in Pennsylvania passed an ordinance recognizing nature as a rights-bearing entity. And since then, 120 communities in the United States have passed local ordinances to protect their ecosystems. And local ordinances using rights of nature today are protecting communities from uh, shale, gas, drilling, and fracking. So, you know, this is not just sort of like a concept. It's actually being put into law at the national level, in 2008, Ecuador became the first country in the world to put rights of nature into their constitution. Uh, we've seen Bolivia have rights of nature laws. And um, in, in 2012, in New Zealand, a river was legally declared a person with standing to bring legal actions to protect its interests. Mm-hmm. So it's a really amazing work that's going on. And, and the final part I'll mention about this is, so we do trainings around rights of nature and people can participate in our trainings. All this is on our website about how to participate in trainings concerning not just rights of nature, but other climate change initiatives we have. But in uh, Paris at the UN, uh, during the UN climate talks, we're going to be uh, partnering with uh, many other organizations to host uh, the International Rights of Nature Tribunal that the Global Alliance for Rights of Nature, which are part of, is a central organizer for. And um, we will be actually having like a mock trial for two days showing what would it look like if climate change and some of these other environmental issues we're facing um, were put on trial using rights of nature laws and how we would be violating you know, Mother Earth's rights and really showing people what this legal framework looks like. It's like an educational tool. There'll be a tribunal going on in Paris. That's so interesting. Oh, man, I hope that's videoed because I'd just like to see, you know, get a little window into what that what that looks like. That's very interesting. Um, you also have a regional solutions training program um, that you work on. And, and I got on your website and I was looking at some of the offerings that you have in different parts of the world. Talk to us about these training programs. I find it so fascinating. Sure, sure. We're finding that, you know, as, as I know you know, because you're deeply engaged in such wonderful education work, that there's just, you know, there's huge amounts of education that needs to go on for in-depth advocacy. You know, we have to have the right analysis to get to, to deeper solutions. And so we do trainings, as an example, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. We have a wonderful coordinator there named Nima Namandu. And what we're doing there is uh, working to protect forests. Uh, work with regional women leaders 
in the Congo on the topic of forest protection and support of pygmy peoples of the region. And in particular, uh, we're looking at uh, the training which is centered on the protection of the Atombe rainforest and the support of the indigenous communities living in and around it whose cultural and ecological heritage is, is really threatened by unsustainable uh, and exploitive logging, mining, and agricultural practices. And of course, you know, for us, it's about working with the indigenous people there, protecting the forest, um, bringing in their uh, indigenous knowledge as we go forward and how we can create sustainability in the forest. And forests are so important to mitigating climate change in terms of carbon sequestration. You know, we need our forests. So, you know, there's sort of a ecosystem of winds as, as we move forward to help protect these forests for the local people, for the atmosphere, for the entire global community. So these trainings really focus on, you know, forest protection. Uh, workshops also include the introduction of clean cook stoves and fuel-efficient cooking, um, holistic indigenous conservation methods, and also we're bringing in uh, solar lights to the area so uh, there's not so much need to cut down the forest for light at night. So there's a whole host of things we do in that training. Uh, we launched a training in the Middle East, North Africa region with um, over nine countries involved, and this training um, involves uh, uh, carrying out climate change mitigation and adaptation activities uh, for the region, and a lot of that has to do with um, water issues. That region, as, as you probably know, uh, is mm-hmm. dealing with huge amounts of drought, so we're working on water issues with them. Um, and then also we work in Latin America um, on uh, trainings. And then, I, you know, perhaps for your listeners, of most interest would be that we have a United a U.S. Women's Climate Justice Initiative, and we just finished um, a series of trainings. Um, one of them was around women for 100% renewable energy from installation to advocacy, and that was really amazing, you know, just the brass tacks. How do I get solar on my roof? Who do I talk to? How do you get it done? What if your local um, utility company opposes you? How can you build a group to have ad- advocacy so you can? Mm-hmm. Um, another training was on health and climate change. What is at stake and what can be done? There's a host of health issues um, involving, you know, women caring for their families and what's happening, on, what's happening with CO2 emissions in the atmosphere. Uh, we did women on the front lines of climate change here in the U.S. Um, with a lot of uh, indigenous women and low-income women and uh, communities of color and what they're facing and going through what happened with... Um, uh, the Hurricane Katrina and what's mm-hmm. happening with the communities in the global in the in the South, and so you know really bringing forward those frontline stories because often we think oh you know um, other countries and developing countries are the ones suffering the most and we have you know uh, low income communities. Uh, African-American communities, indigenous communities here in the U.S. who are right on the front lines um, due to environmental racism, due to um, inequality in the marketplace, and they need our attention and also we need a lot of education about how we can support those frontline communities. So Absolutely. Um, all those trainings are open to the public. Um, they're all online, so it's really easy. You know, people can just participate in the trainings online. And um, we'll be starting a series again in January. We just finished um, a, a series of four trainings, and uh, we'll be starting again in the new year. That's fantastic. And how, how is your organization supported? If our listeners are really excited about what you're doing and they want to help you achieve your mission, what are some of the things that they can do to, can they donate online? Can they volunteer? Um, how can we get 
directly involved? Thank you for asking the question. Yes, there is a donate button on our website at www.wecaninternationalspelledout.org, and we would love to have donations for all of this work. Um, it's, uh, we have our own nonprofits. So of course, it's all tax-deductible. And then uh, we do enjoy having volunteers. There's a lot of work um, going on right now in support of the Global Women's Climate Justice Day of Action um, with outreach to international communities and just supporting that action. Um, so volunteers are very welcome. Um, and also it's very helpful if people uh, 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 will sign up for our newsletter so we can be in touch with you and also our Facebook page. You know, we want to have as much outreach and network as much as possible. We find that networking, especially amongst women, is one of our strong points. Mm-hmm. And so we would love it if people followed us on Facebook and Twitter and just, you know, helped our community to grow. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us today. And it's always fun to talk with Osprey Oriel Lake. Um, just a delight um, to, to talk about how she is organizing women around the globe and bringing together some of the best resources available to women um, through other women and the actions they're taking to not just adapt to climate change, but to fight it, you know, to, to really go and take those actions that will help us reduce our CO2 
CO2 emissions and, and bring this planet back to a place of healthy habitation for humanity. And I'm excited to have her on. Osprey, I want to ask you, because I know that you are both a very spiritual, but also a very analytical person. If the Global Women's Climate Justice Day of Action meets your highest goals, what will be accomplished? In what ways will you be measuring success? I will be looking for one. I'd love to see a strong outcome uh, internationally that we really see women picking up the torch in their home, in their community, in their countries, and saying, yes, I want to make a stand for climate justice, and I want world leaders to know that I care about this issue. And that would be tremendous just to have that collaborative voice, that collective voice from women around the world uploading their statements and us just seeing a reflection of ourselves and the strength of the women's climate justice movement, that would make my heart sing. Um, Additionally, um, you know, just seeing the work that women are already doing, you know, yes, their concerns, absolutely, their demands, absolutely, because we must make much stronger demands from our governments to have ambitious goals as we head into the climate negotiations at the end of the year, but really demanding gender equality, really demanding, you know, that uh, we don't do business as usual, that we keep fossil fuels in the ground. You know, our engineers are telling us that we can move to 100% renewable energy. It's not beyond us. So we need to get politics out of the way, corporate control out of the way, so we can get on with the business of creating a healthy and sustainable future. And women making the strong stance and also showing the work they're already doing, um, I think would be amazing because I'm so moved by the stories of resilience that women are demonstrating around the world. And one thing I just wanted to mention because um, it it really deeply moved me and I just found out about it this year. And, you know, agroecology is so central to this transition because we can sequester uh, carbon emissions into the soils. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's really potent to do that is, you know, the practice of agroecology. And this, um, this work is echoed by thousands of women who demonstrate on the streets of Brazil each year calling specifically for agroecology. And they call it the March for the Lives of Women and Agroecology. And it's held in Brazil every year. And they've been doing it for six years. And mm. I find, you know, actions like that so inspiring. Well, it is, and, and I I actually got to see Dr. Shiva speak at the Soil Not Oil conference in Richmond, California last week, and she was talking about this very issue. Um, you know, it's one thing to uh, create public policy around our carbon emissions, but a, a huge percentage of the carbon emissions and the Earth's lack of capability to sequester the carbon that is in the atmosphere happens around soil and the way that we produce food. And continuing to produce food with the use of fossil fuels, both in the fertilizer and in the way that we that we produce food is not sustainable, first and foremost, because fossil fuels are finite. Um, We're not making them anymore. (laughs) When they're gone, they're all gone. And so feeding the planet with this intensive use of of fossil fuel-based pesticides, fertilizers, and and equipment, just, it cannot last forever. And we need to be making some transitions to um, healthier soil that can sequester more carbon, um, as well as taking more of the oil out of 
the food production um, methodologies that we're using. And so it was it was pretty inspiring to see what she and um, with her physics background, um, what she's inspiring in one of the world's most populous uh, countries, of course, that's India. You know, Osprey, as we look forward to um, the the Paris talks, we here in the United States we're also on the verge of a of a new uh, administration in the White House. President Obama's term will be winding down, and as you're thinking about the next president of the United States and the role that he or she will play in global climate justice, I'm wondering what attributes you and and others with whom you're associated are looking for in our nation's next president and hence the leader of the free world. Oh, I think we would need a two-hour show for that, but (laughs) I'll just mention a few things. It's a great question. But, you know, um, I think, you know, of course, you know, the first thing is we want a president that takes climate change very seriously and is willing to take on corporate interests and realize that we are in a crisis, that the window of time to act is very small, and that, you know, uh, nature, Mother Earth, is not waiting for politicians to negotiate. This is not, you can't negotiate with physics. You can't negotiate mm-hmm. with nature. And we really need a president that will understand we are no longer in that framework. We need to move past that into very bold and ambitious action. And moving us sort of at, as many people have used, the analogy of a World War II level of move towards 100% renewable energy in this country, which we can do. There's a, a wonderful science uh, uh, um, uh, uh, professor out of Stanford University who has proven state by state how we can move to 100% renewable energy now. So it's not a technology problem. It's a political problem. We want a president who will really take this on, um, really deal with divestment, really put an end to fossil fuel subsidies, uh, put a price on carbon. We want really strong ambition around this, and we want them to deal with, um, you know, the corporate control of our democracy at this time, which is also interfering with an ambitious climate program. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and the thing is, right now, we're not seeing renewable energy equipment and infrastructure being produced with renewable energy. In other words, we're not producing solar panels on solar energy. You know, we're not, uh, the wind turbine manufacturing plants are not powered by wind or solar. And so with the finite amount of fossil fuels that we have left, um, it's time to put a lot more effort into, you know, creating that infrastructure um, with this highly efficient fossil fuel that we've got right now and place more of an, an emphasis on using that as a transition fuel to renewable energy. Because if we wait until the point where we've got to create renewable energy infrastructure with renewable energy, we really may not be able to keep up. And so that's a urgent concern that I have. Again, as a mom, as a woman, I have DNA in the game. And seeing this transition happen so slowly, I know that every day we wait, it becomes more expensive to make that transition um, to the kind of economy that would be supported and be successful um, with renewable energy. And so I so applaud uh, what you're doing to ramp up that sense of urgency. In the final moments that we have left of the show, and I wish we had more time to talk with you, Osprey, can you give us three concrete actions that we as listeners to your message can take this week to help improve climate justice around the world? 
Um, I think one is that, uh, I, you know, since we were just talking about the elections, we're going into an election cycle next year, and I think it's really important for people to learn directly in their community who their public officials are, and let's make it a point, all of us, to get educated enough to vote out climate deniers and vote in people who are going to take a strong stance on climate. So, you know, start learning that immediately so when we head into next year's election cycle, we are firm and have a strong voting power there. Um, secondly, I think that um, we would love for all of you to engage in our Global Women's Climate Justice Day of Action, women and men alike, mm-hmm. so we can make a strong statement um, and sign the declaration heading into the Paris negotiations to really let our government know and let world governments know where the people's movements are and, and how strongly we feel about this issue and the demands that we have and that we know that the negotiations are not moving at speed and scale according to what science tells us and that we know that and we want the right thing to happen. Let's do that. And And Osprey, uh, I'm so sorry. We have to go. But I have enjoyed having you on so much. (laughs) And everybody, we are going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. So until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.